It's not piracy, it's preservation. Honest. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Minty fresh, minted minter. Adobe or not Adobe, that is the question. An exoscum. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, everyone. We have a special guest with us today. It is none other than Banjo Guy Ollie, musician, arcade collector, hardware fixer, surfer, MSX fan, sorcerer of flight yokes for me. Thank you. That arrived on Friday. Very much appreciated. <laughs> and all-round talented guy who you can find on BG Ollie on YouTube, the 8-Bit Man Shed, and other channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. So go and subscribe to them all. Welcome, Ollie, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. The things you have to do to get on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the flight yoke. Uh, Ollie has picked up on my obsession with flight sims, and more recently, collecting flight sticks. And where did you see this yoke? It was a local advert. Uh, okay. On Facebook, actually, and uh, yeah, I was—I I had just seen your post about these controllers, and it was mm-hmm. the same brand, same packaging. So I was like, oh, maybe Neil uh, <laughs> might, <laughs> might want this one. Yeah, yeah, very much appreciated. It's CH Products, great big yoke uh, with a with a game port um, connector on there. So yeah. good for my Windows ninety eight or MS DOS gaming. It's huge, or maybe um, maybe Star Wars, Dave. Oh, yes. Star Wars, yeah. X-Wing. X-Wing or TIE Fighter. Wonderful yeah. games. Wonderful yeah. games. The pinnacle. Yeah. So, Ollie, tell us, what have you been up to this week? Uh, preferably retro-related. Fine have, if not, but what have you been up to? <laughs> I have... Oh, no. Yes, yes, yes. Here. There's a, a monitor here uh, behind me. No, the other way. Yeah, you can actually see it. Well, you can't see it. It's right behind the, uh, the microphone. For those on audio only, only. <laughs> there is a monitor. Okay, it's a 1084 uh, Commodore monitor. And that was a, a, a gift from uh, Glenn, CRG. He oh, was nice. on the show before. Uh, mm-hmm. I met him at Amiga Ireland and he had this monitor that wasn't working, wasn't starting, and it had a big crack. Uh, it, it sustained... A couple of falls, uh, I'd been told, and uh, I got it working yesterday, uh, just yesterday. So it's, it's back up and running, and I fixed the crack. Um, so is that, that was, a that's a CRT or is that a flat screen back there? I can't make it. The out. CRT would be right behind me is a black uh, flat screen, but yeah, you can't see the CRT, and oh, okay. I'm not lifting it up. <laughs> it's a it's a 14 inch Philips one. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. It's a Commodore yeah, 1084. 1084. Yeah, right. Because when you pointed at the flat screen, I thought not many people would go to the effort of fixing a crack on a on a, on a flat, screen, flat no, screen like no, that. Certainly but, not. Um, no. no, definitely a Philips 14 inch CRT. Very so nice. I have that, and I'm working still on a scrap build of a Amiga 3000. Oh, you're on that again, are you? Yeah. That was such an undertaking. You've got this huge that board. There's so much on it. Yeah, it, it, it's not as bad as the 1200 that I did recently. It's actually a lot uh, more true hole uh, right. stuff on this. And I got the chipset now, uh, thanks to Chucky. So That's one of Chucky's creations, is it, that board? It's happening. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yep. it is. Yeah. Where can we? Where, where do people go to find out about Chucky? Does he have? He doesn't have a huge online presence, does he? It doesn't. He has uh, the Reamiga website, Re-Amiga. and uh, I think twelve. He's running a twelve sixty as well. Dot com. There you go. That's where you can get your new A3000 1200 boards and other stuff. Well worth checking out. Uh, Dave, what have you been up to with your week? I don't think I've done anything retro this week. I was at the rugby on uh, 
at the weekend there on Saturday watching the Scotland-England game and we beat England oh, of course again. You're bring that up. The fourth year in a row, Neil, we beat England. We're a tiny nation. You're much bigger, but we beat you the fourth year in a row. Amazing performance, wonderful tries. Get it up, you. Um, <laughs> Ollie, are you? Uh, Ollie is for people who aren't aware. Ollie is is French, but he's lived in Ireland so long. He's got that lovely fr- the Irish accent as well. Do you follow French or Irish rugby or both? I I don't follow sports at all. I used to play oh. rugby. You used to play um, rugby, okay. Yeah, what position? I, I, sorry, what position? I was somewhere at the back. I played. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get all the big guys that made it through essentially. <laughs> Sounds very but, much like me. I was on the wing or in the back. I didn't really understand the rules, but I enjoyed yeah, yeah. playing it. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Right. We've got lots to get through this week. So let's get straight into our first story. Dave. Here's a llama. There's a llama. And another little llama. Fuzzy llama. Funny llama. Llama, llama, duck. Now, there's no ducks in this segment. And if you want to feel old, the llama song, which Neil and Ollie neither of them claim to have heard before, which is nonsense because everybody's heard it, is 20 years old this year. Dave had this great idea that we should all sing a little bit of that song. And both of us said, what the hell are you talking about, Dave? We've never (laughs) heard it before. I'm sure it scrolled past my feed at some point 20 years ago. And I went, oh, that's nice. But it's obviously stuck with Dave. Stuck with me, Dave. Bumped into my head. Comments, please, telling Neil and Ollie how they are uh, (laughs) Philistines. Llamas are what I think of when Jeff Minter is mentioned. It's no wonder either because his own software company is called Llamasoft and llamas feature in many, if not most, of his games. Of course, it's not all about llamas with Jeff. It's also about alpacas, camels, and also yak, and that's how he's sometimes known. Jeff has been making games seemingly forever, and his games typically have a beautiful simplicity to them that makes them easy to get started with, but he polishes them to the point where they're, they're they're perfect, they're addictive, they're wonderful, they're great. Now, the reason why we're talking about him today is a submission from Chrissy on the website, on our uh, Reddit subreddit. It's about a digital eclipse documentary on Jeff Minter that's due out in about a week's time from when this uh, podcast releases. It follows the same format as their Atari 50 documentary in that it's a release for a gaming platform of your choice and it includes a big pile of games with it. So your platform of choice could be PC, Xbox, PlayStation or Switch. So is this one of these things where the documentary is interwoven with things you can click on, games you can play? There was a Jordan Mechner one recently, which was fantastic. Yeah, that that sort of thing. It's an interactive documentary is what they call it. So I thought I'd do a little bit about Jeff in case I'm not sure if he's well-known outside of the UK. I don't know. Uh, maybe some of our listeners don't know much about him. He started out in the Commodore PET and then moved on to the ZX80 before moving on to... Oh, sorry, if you're in America, that's a ZX80. Uh, moving on to the VIC-20, the Commodore 64, the Atari ST, and on to the Jaguar to make Tempest 2000. Arguably the biggest reason to get a Jaguar, and he's kept his hand in ever since. If you're in America, Dave, that was a Timex Sinclair. For me, though, the first Jeff Minter game that I played, and one that I kept going back to, was Lamatron 2112. It was an Atari ST game, although it did get an Amiga and PC port. It was heavily inspired, yeah, inspired perhaps is maybe not a strong enough word, by Robotron, the classic twin-stick arcade shooter, and it was just as frenetic. You are a, a robot llama, and you've got to clear 
a screen full of enemies, saving the animals and then moving on to the next slightly harder screen. It's very, very much an arcade-style game, and it's got amazing sounds and graphics. And while it it doesn't take you long to play it, you'll, you'll be over over and done quick you'll be left sweating and panting after the sound samples on it are great as well the pace is just incredible ollie have you got any experience with llama soft games and jeff minter stuff i i sort of do now but at the time i i didn't uh, growing up in france we simply didn't really have there was some there was small niches of 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 uh, commodore and spectrum presence but we d- didn't really have those platforms it was more um uh, um, Amstrad, and there was a lot of uh, very old stuff like Victor and Alice and, and these type of computers. So the uh, th- that year, that section of 8-bit computers, we didn't quite have. So I didn't know who Jeff Minter was until much later when I moved to Ireland and I started getting an interest in all those platforms that I didn't have in Discovery Lama Software. But back then, I have, yeah, I have no nostalgia really for uh, for, for that and those machines really. How about uh, how about Robotron? Did you have access to that growing up? Um, uh, probably from arcade arcades. I yeah. would have seen it, I suppose, but that's that's the extent of it. Uh, even my uh, my experience of arcade was somewhat limited to uh, a few times a year until I, I went to school and it was in the local arcade. But by then we were into the nineties, really era of uh, uh, sixteen bits. So yeah, he's not a he's not a household name in 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 France the way you would be here in in Ireland and UK. He's he's such a he's such a a nice figure as well. I don't think anyone's got anything bad to say about him. He's he's just you mention his name and you smile. He's been extensively covered in the magazines over the years, mm. and he's he's always kept his hand in since then. I don't think he's he's certainly not relentlessly producing new games uh, in the same way that he did in the eighties. But he's always kept a hand in, and his games are always—they're always different. There's, there's, there's no—he doesn't—he doesn't come out with just one type of game that he keeps doing. He, he will go back to old games and release them in new platforms. But he's uh, all sorts of different games he's come out with. They're all—they're 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 um, all interesting, at least, and they all put a smile on your face. No, yeah, I was going to say there's an artistry to what he does as well, which is—I'm always fascinated by people like that. Um, having been a musician and a painter before, like it, it, I, I just love the way that he gets an idea and just runs with it. Um, mm. uh, and yeah, it, it's it's people like that are fascinating to watch. I'm actually looking forward to that um, documentary. Yeah, it's it's artistic and it's often technology driven because you'll find he makes versions of games for the most obscure systems. Like um, what was the DVD player with the built-in gaming features? There was that he, he he made probably one of the only games worth playing on the Jaguar. Um, he's, he's worked on all kinds of weird systems uh, and always does a, a good job of it. For me, Llamatron was the first Jeff Minter game I played. I think his earlier games, there were the Mutant Cam- Camel games when they attack and revenge. They were aimed at the C64. I had an Amstrad CPC. So like Ollie, I didn't really have access to the games. Perhaps I played them once or twice at a friend's house. Um, there was a piece of software called Psychedelia. That that is the only game I can see that was released for the CPC um, and other platforms. And that was just a light show. Uh, think of a, a Winamp visualizer for a bang up to date reference. And um, it didn't listen to music or anything. You wiggled the joystick, you pressed keys, and you sort of did things in time with the music to create your light show on the screen. Um, a typical Jeff Minter bizarre thing that gets published. Yes, Dave. 
The most typical Jeff Minter game name, I think, has to be Mega Mega Galactic Llamas Battle at the Edge of Time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, Llamatron, it was on the Amiga 500 that I played that. And there was definitely a, a WTF look on my face when those sound samples started playing. There's, yeah, there's a, great. There's a very seductive ooh from a lady. <laughs> and, then, and then there's this Mandelbrot shaped enemy because why wouldn't there be <laughs> uh, and that just screams if you hit it like a really loud scream um so i love that and i'm a big robotron fan so of course i love the game um yeah really really did enjoy it dave well the documentary slash game compilation is available on your platform of choice on the 13th of march there's 42 games included but for me and much more interesting than documentary content I want to watch. They're kind of a a, a good summary of uh, everything Jeb Jeb Minter's done. It shouldn't surprise me, but it still surprises me. Forty two games he's had a well, probably more than that he's had a hand in, but mm. forty two in that pack. That that's do you know do we know how much it is? Um if I click the buy now button, it'll tell me. Let's see. <laughs> click on Steam. So on Steam it is add to your wait list. There's oh, game plans okay. to unlock. Um, keep talking and I'll keep clicking. And okay, find Ollie's out, maybe yeah. find Ollie. I was wondering, is it going to be like that Karatika uh, uh, documentary that was released? Is that the same crowd doing it? I Oh, I don't know if it's the same crowd, but that's the one I mentioned earlier, the Jordan Mechner oh, one. Okay. And, and I really did. Have you used that one, Ollie? Have you been through I, it? Yeah, I haven't been entirely through it. Yeah, I, I have it. I just need to go through it. But yeah. I, 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 there's something really nostalgic about that format as well. It's like old DVDs, um, yeah. you know, that we used to, click on every hyperlink to see <laughs> yeah look for all of the uh the director's commentary every little squeeze every piece of that yeah. dvd out that we could yeah so it is it's the, they've, they've done the atari 50th and jordan Mechner. that's the same one correct. Yeah, seen people get onto it so they've got a, a track history and doing good things so um yeah i'll i'll definitely be getting that one we are sponsored thank you very much by pixel addict magazine pixel addict magazine is a lifestyle magazine focusing on retro and similar stuff um this week's uh this week's episode this week's episode yeah this yeah. six weekly monthly magazine is um the one <laughs> with lara yes lara <laughs> croft's silhouette on the front um and it, it, it as we mentioned last time it does have neil thomas of rmc the cave and alex crowley of arcade archive and holly don't forget holly and holly well they've forgotten holly um no 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 holly's in there she's got her own cutout a little segment i'm talking about the the, the blurb that they've described what's in the magazine they haven't oh, mentioned holly holly's um, in holly's in there telling people about the danger of x-rays and crts which, may, which which hopefully doesn't pe put people off coming to visit us <laughs> are they dangerous holly they can be. A lot of CRTs now would have an X-ray protection circuit that shuts off the uh, the CRT, but not all. O older monitors do not have that. So, mm. And sometimes you find a, an old chassis and you don't quite know what size tube it is for. And uh, so pl plugging the, the wrong size chassis into the wrong size tube can have, uh, yeah issues as, with x-rays as a rule of thumb if i can see a player's spine from behind them when they're on an arcade <laughs> hit the power <laughs> um there's also uh the atari 400 mini story uh there's a little picture of june on the front cover which we'll come to later because there's some news on that um and uh the history of palm and their uh, palm pilot and other devices 
So where is the URL? Where can people go, Ollie, to access Pixel Addict magazine? Oh, I have it here. It's pixel.addict.http at gmail.co.uk. Oh, I thought it was so close. It was so close. Pixel.addict.media. You can have it delivered to you in a physical magazine. You can have it as a PDF. You can subscribe. Go and uh, go and buy it. Buy now. Buy, buy, buy. Thank you, Pixel Addict. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Few software products have become so popular that they change the English language, but Photoshop is just such a program. Get a photo with some red eye, you Photoshop it. Want to crop an image, you Photoshop it. Need to make a YouTube thumbnail, you Photoshop it. And I can already hear people in the comments saying, no, 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 I use GIMP, I use PaintShop Pro or whatever alternative you may have. But let's just let Photoshop have its moment here because it's just hit the ripe old age of 34 years old this month. Same all... you, Neil. So, <laughs> I wish. It all began according to the article submitted by Pajaco6502. Thank you, Paul. He was actually at the cave this weekend. It was nice to see him. Uh, it started in 1987 when Thomas Knoll, uh, or Knoll, if you're talking stock cubes, they, that's the same company, isn't it? Of course. Um, he wrote an no. article. No, no, um, not Noel. Noels are monsters in Dungeons and Dragons. Are they? Yes. Uh, um, Thomas uh, Noel wrote an app to convert monochrome images to grayscale. But Thomas isn't. Thomas isn't a monster in Dungeons and Dragons. He's not. He, but he did write an app to convert monochrome images to grayscale on classic Mac. This caught the eye of his brother, who just so happened to work at Industrial Light and Magic. Uh, and so he no doubt had first-hand experience of how expensive it was to manipulate images in the movie industry and encouraged the development of his brother's program. A year later, they had their first prototype and the timing couldn't have been better. Barney Scan were developing <laughs> desktop scanners. <laughs> Is anyone else pitching a huge, big purple dinosaur? Dinosaur with yeah. a scanner. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Barney needed a killer app to complement his scanner. Uh, so uh, if people bought the product, they'd have a powerful tool to manipulate the images. They struck a deal with the brothers, and now you could scan and edit images at home for just $15,000. What a bargain. But compared to the alternatives, it really was. The star of the show was Photoshop, though. Barney Scan decided to sell it as a standalone product, and the brothers were start smart enough to have a deal which included a royalty on every sale, so they were making bank. But... Who here has heard of Barney Scan Photoshop? Anyone? <laughs> no, no, no. Because in 1988, John took Photoshop to a little company called Adobe in Silicon Valley, and so impressed were they that they acquired the license. And on February 1990, the first standalone commercial release of Adobe Photoshop was released for macOS. The price quoted in the article is $895 to buy a copy of Photoshop. It has always been a premium product. You've got a huge big box and a nice chunky manual with it, and uh, people knew you'd spent nearly $900 on it. You weren't going to find it bundled with your Amiga uh, in, the, in the same way Deluxe Paint was. In 93, it was ported over to Windows, so it has been a Windows product since version 2.5, but it took a very long time to shake off that, ooh, if you want Photoshop, you need a Mac to do it properly reputation. I don't know if that was propelled by the user base or Adobe itself. I, I suspect the Mac-owning user base. <laughs> In 1995, the brothers then took another deal. Adobe paid them $34.5 million for the rights 
and no longer had to pay them royalties. So they did pretty well out of it. That's a huge amount of money in 1995. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's enough to retire on. Yeah, oh, easily, easily. It wasn't Adobe's first product, though, far from it. They were established in 82. It was PostScript through which they found fame in 83, a language designed to ensure that you what you saw really was what you got out of your printer. Um, something Steve Jobs was so enamored with, he tried repeatedly to buy Adobe in the early 80s and integrate it into Apple. But um, in the end, he just came away with a licensing deal. Uh, yes, Dave's just written to me in the chat, WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. So um, this deal, Adobe, um, <laughs> Dave, stop trying to put me off. No, I don't wear a wig. Um, <laughs> Adobe, Apple, PostScript, this came together to really help propel um, Apple and gain its reputation as the desktop publishing machine to have. 1987 brought Illustrator. That's their vector-based design package. And so Photoshop complemented that well with its bitmap manipulation. Premiere for video editing arrived in 91. Acrobat and their PDFs came along in 93 and so on and so on. InDesign, After Effects, all of these products that come together now to make the creative suite, which you can get on a subscription-based model. And I do. I've been an avid user of Photoshop and Illustrator since the 90s when I uh, I dabbled with it. And then I was sent on a training course for them as the IT tech because supposedly it would make me better at supporting the products if I knew how to use them when in reality I was really just installing them. And then that's installed and walking away. I didn't have to use them. But I absolutely loved this week-long training course they sent me on. And those skills have stuck with me ever since. And the shortcuts... Uh, pretty much all of the program, even though the interface looks very different, I still have my hand in exactly the same position at the bottom left-hand corner of the keyboard using all the shortcuts as I did in the 90s. Um, I really love the products. Then I picked up um, Premiere to make company videos, one of which you can see <laughs> at the end of my latest video release after the credits. There's a, a very young me in one of those videos. Um, and in design, more recently, I've been using to create signage around the museum. So it's fair to say I am an Adobe fanboy. But what about you guys? Are you fans? Are you subscribers? Or are you still using a crack and Photoshop 5.5 to get your work done? Um, Dave? But before I criticize Adobe, I should say that if we're going to see, let's say Photoshop have its moment then yes, there are alternatives out there, but they're all based on Photoshop itself. They're all doing what Photoshop did. So they're all, they're all if you like, if you want to call a, a word processor a word processor, and then Photoshop is a Photoshop. Um, so you have to give it the credit for starting all that. Um, although it does remind me about Stu Cambridge, um, who uses software that's an evolution of the Amiga style. So it's definitely in the minority there, but Photoshop is a standard. Neil? It's fair to say it became the standard. It's worth remembering it wasn't the first by a no. Yeah. No, but it's um, it's, it's the big beast. Adobe software, I found crashes. I found it's unstable, bloated, and crashy, and it annoys me that that PDF is is a standard now. Uh, it's not owned by Adobe. I don't think anymore. It's an open standard. Yet you still, it's still you're trying to search through a PDF and it just crashes. Um, but what Photoshop says to me, what it reminds me of mostly is beta, B three T A the irreverent, um, satirical, um, rude, obnoxious, and fun website that was around. Um, it's still around now. There's still, there's still a newsletter, but it's certainly nothing like as active. Rob Manuel's uh, website is not as active what it was, and that's what Beta was. It was a, a place where people could Photoshop images and make them look rude, 
um, and um, and funny. Particularly, Virgin Media decided that uh, I'm not sure which part of Virgin it was decided that they wanted Beta to do a competition to help them promote stuff, and the competition was pulled because the Beatons decided this was an opportunity to be as offensive as possible um, <laughs> with Richard Branson, the photoshopping Richard Branson doing some rather obscene and evil things. So that's what Photoshop means to me. It means beta. It's hardly shocking nowadays. It probably You probably just described the entire internet, really. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever submitted an entry to beta, Ali? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been at least a decade since I last looked at it. Am I right in remembering there would be a theme and everyone would do their entry yes. for the theme, and then they would would there be a winner or would, would it just be upvoted? Yeah, it would be. There would be a, a winner, a top three on the next newsletter. I think that's how they would do it, and they would yeah. they would pick a theme and you would put it in, and that's why Virgin sponsored them to do a theme one week. Um, it was Virgin related stuff, and it got cancelled halfway through because it was just a. People said, "Right, let's see if we can absolutely break this." Yeah. How about you, Ollie? Are you an Adobe fanboy? I wouldn't describe myself as a fanboy, but I, I do pay the uh, the subscription for both uh, Photoshop and Premiere. Yeah, I mean they're great. They're great uh, softwares. It's interesting. There's still wars between what software to use for the same job essentially and they're pretty much clones of each other and it's something i see also in the sort of music industry with which uh, daw is the the best tool for producing music and the only it's answer an atari st isn't it it's an atari <laughs> ST using using steinberg cubase it's got midi you know yeah yeah <laughs> yes dave <laughs> yes thank <laughs> you i'm glad we settled that but when, whenever you get into conversations about it, ultimately, it's it, everybody agrees it's what you're used to. You know, you're used to Photoshop, you're used to Adobe, you're, you're used to whatever product. It's how quickly you can get things done. Because at the end of the day, GIMP does similar stuff. Um, there's loads of uh, Photoshop-like softwares that pretty much all do the same stuff. It's just it's what you're used to. And if the if the if the purpose is just to clone Photoshop, then why not use Photoshop in the first place? Because especially with the subscription model now, they can actually push innovation. Like nowadays you can actually use AI within Photoshop to fill, content fill some areas that, you know, maybe your photo is a bit too small or not high res enough or things like that. Oh, I've seen that with game covers. We it's, saw that on, on RMC Discord with game covers, things like, was it Speedball or something? Someone to just make it bigger and then Xenon 2. Xenon 2. Xenon 2. Oh. <laughs> I, I, um, Colin the alien in the shop. So I expanded the shop sideways and you saw things on the shelves. I expanded it down. And, uh, well, you don't want to know what was going on underneath <laughs> Colin's waistline. It was not safe for work. I'm not saying it always works. <laughs> But it's been very useful. I used it for my uh, thumbnails uh, quite a bit. There's a, a, a um, song I released recently with that puppet Simon. And the entire by background is three layers of uh, auto-generative fill um, with Photoshop. Mm -hmm. So the only yeah. thing that's really there is the puppet and myself and the rest is there. Uh, I think it's really useful. Yeah, um, I helped uh, Alex with his latest arcade thumbnail. It was about gunfight, had a little cowboy on the front. So I just typed in Wild West backdrop with cactuses. And there you go, it creates it. Um, just something from nothing. It's quite wonderful. And also the ability to select subject. I use that all the time. It will it will just very clever, cleverly go, 
I recognize that as a human and I will select them and you're not painstakingly, you know, drawing around them pixel by pixel to select them. Um, very useful. Yeah. How about your video editing? You a Premiere man? Premiere as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I started on a, on a Mac when, when I started my channel, it was on a Mac and I was filming with an iPhone. So I had whatever, um, after cut or can't remember final cut called. final cut yeah, yeah. um and uh, because that just came with it uh when i moved to pc i just used premiere right away which was very similar again all these tools do the same stuff slightly different sometimes but it's about how you are you know are you used to the shortcuts and and have your workflow designed around it i'll stick with it then how, how do you come up with, when you do your, your music videos, obviously there's lots of little windows of you playing different instruments and you've got them all timed to play yeah. the song correctly. How do you make that happen? Because obviously you're not manually lining up each and every clip. Does that yeah. get exported? You are. Oh, I am. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you sync it up to the audio. So you have a click track to start and then the click track dies once once you start, but or you keep it along sometimes. But uh, it's... Uh, I sync it to the the first four beats of the click track initially, so mm -hmm. each each video track is synced up like that. Uh, the, I think there's a way to do it automatically, but I do it's easier and better usually to do it manually, and it's it's thirty seconds really. So for the for the, for the non musical people out there, just want to just make sure I've understood this correctly. So you'll have you'll play when you say a click track. Do you just mean that sort of a, a like a metronome to play along yeah. to, and you'll play each instrument for the piece individually and then you'll piece them all together and you'll make sure they match that tone so that it then you can have all all of them playing there is that how you do it i don't know that the arrangement happens in premiere no usually. exactly i was no. going to say that in a way yes dave but the, the video is just a video uh, so i'm actually playing over the final arrangement so i've already done the arrangement by the time i get to the video point and then uh, I make a video where I, I play the part, but it's not the track you hear. Right, okay, okay. On the video. It's just this out-of-tune banjo. Yeah, yeah, I'm French, I do You don't hear that. You don't hear that. It's a French mind. Perfect, perfect point, actually, to, to point out some of the tracks that Ollie does cover. Because um, <laughs> uh, I, I know a lot of our listeners will will be big fans. Dave, what are you doing? French <laughs> mind. Oh, you're being a mime. Okay. Um uh, Ollie, just give us some examples of some of the tracks you've covered on your channel that people might like to hear. Um, I, well, I know there's a there's a, a, a big Amiga crowd here, so there's a lot of Chris Hulsbeck, uh, Tarkin oh, and stuff, yeah, which I'm really, obviously like everybody else a huge fan of. And uh, speaking of Amiga, there's Dune stuff, which I'm yes. working on more as well at the moment. Uh, so the few Dune tracks, but it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of arrangements with acoustic instruments or m more traditional type of instruments that you'd find in, in Irish music, for example. So there's accordions and, and whistles and mandolin and banjos and things like that. Would you mind if Duncan just dropped in a little clip of an example? Oh, please, yeah. Let's do Absolutely, that. Let's hear a yeah. bit of Ollie's music.
We shouldn't also forget Ollie's best uh, musical accomplishments. Um, <laughs> Daddy Mulk. <laughs> <laughs> I'd erased it from my brain. No, we, we, we do do. Yes, we, we, we do do. Um, <laughs> and um, the uh, MSX machines. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For people who, do, who aren't aware, Ollie is, uh, has a, a fantastic sense of fun and he has um, <laughs> taken clips of Neil and then taken clips of us on This Week in Retro and turned them into music, which uh, we'll put in the show notes for you to listen to if you've missed those. They are absolutely incredible. They killed us when we saw them the first time. They're, they're, they're fantastic. Um, <clears throat> thank you for doing those. No problem. It's so much work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it must be. It must be. <laughs> Well, um, I thought I'd got away with that, but yes, the links are going to be there for people to see. So do go and enjoy them. Um, and uh, bringing us back on top, happy birthday to Adobe Photoshop. I will be using it right after the show to put thumbnail together. I would like to welcome on five new patrons. So thank you very much five. to five. Phil, to Stephen to Paul, to Dante, and to Julian for signing up as twirlers. Thank Welcome. you very much for doing yes. that. Yeah, thank you, guys. We really appreciate the support. And uh, what what better thing is there to call yourself than a twirler? Actually, the status <laughs> that you now carry. Where can people sign up to be a twirler, Neil? Uh, they can be a twirler at, um, uh, where is it? Patreon.com forward slash This Week in Retro. Thank you very much. Um from Maribala on the subreddit, the Flame War book that we covered, which was the story of the Atari ST and the Amiga, has started shipping and started arriving. Mine hasn't arrived yet, so I think they were shipping the U. They had problems with uh, working out how to do it post-Brexit, but mine hasn't arrived yet. Um, but it has been arriving. People seem happy with it. It looks great. I'm looking forward to reading mine. Chrissy has submitted a story about his friend Kosam about the uh, your friend too. Yes, uh, the well, the creator of Stroudman, but he's gone on to create something even greater. Um, it's the Sega. Is it, it's the Neptune, isn't it? That's what it's yeah. called. So the never released Sega console, which was supposed to be a Mega Drive and a 32x all in one, um, it was covered by a YouTuber previously whose name escapes me i do apologize hopefully duncan can put it so that was the 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 case was made and then he made a kind of he he built together and then kosam has now created a pcb to make it yeah so an actual mega drive was hacked together with a 32x to fit in this case yeah and now kosam has created an actual pcb for a neptune that fits in this beautiful looking injection molded case and to all intents and purposes you have a sega neptune Amazing. It it, wow. it it looks brilliant uh, mm, and it really does everything that the original should uh, have done. Are the blank PCBs available or is it populated PCBs? Um, that is- well, Kosam is part of the board folk, isn't he? And I think they do release them, uh, the, the, the Gerbers, don't they, Dave? Okay. They do. I tend to. I, I don't yeah. know that. I, I don't know we can see that for this one. Um, but yeah, Go link in the show notes. Him. To- Go and bully him in Discord, yeah. Ollie, and I'm sure he'll give you the files. Um. <laughs> We talked about Dark Forces getting a remaster in a previous episode, and Digital Foundry ha- now have a review. It's not yet been released, but Digital Foundry have their release copy, uh, the review copy, and they've done a review. And I watched it, and they've been extremely positive. 
it's not just been given a once over with AI upscaling on things. It's been had all the art redone and the 3D re rendered, but they they have kept very true to the original design. The only downside they came up with was on the switch it's not so good it's a bit um it's a bit of slowdown on there and a bit of um it's a bit a little bit jumpy but i believe they're fixing that um so dark forces remaster is out very soon um the ghost of chris w5 agima has submitted a story um, nice to see you. It's about a Unity-based remake of Turbo Outrun. And I've had a look at this. It's, he says every car has damage, it has brake, it has tyre wear, it has parts failing. It, it retains that pixel art style look. Um, it looks good. Ollie, were you nodding there? Yeah, I've, I've seen, seen it. it as well. Uh, I was super excited about it. And I've had a go. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really smooth. It, it looks really good. I, I've only got one thing i'd like to see tweaked and it is still a work in progress and that is i think everything looks brilliant but i think the lines on the road just look a little bit too sharp i want them to get pixelated up a little bit so that's yeah that's what i was going to say actually because i like all the graphics and the reuse of assets but the road is so smooth mm. <laughs> even around the bends <laughs> it just it, it feels out of place with the with the rest uh, but otherwise I, I like the effort i do yeah. have a, a turbo outrun machine uh, oh, here. an arcade machine. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love the game as well. I know, uh, of course. I, I was speaking to your good friend, Stephen Leary, recently, uh, and he mentioned he'd acquired, was it a Sega um, Rally? Sega Rally, yeah. yeah. He came here to uh, collect it. I actually found it uh, locally, uh, a twin Sega Rally. So he's taking one half and keeping one half, although we're talking about maybe he's getting the second half. I'm going to get another cabin exchange uh, of his. So is there, is there no way you can link the two up over the internet and then just race each other remotely? <laughs> <laughs> must be a way. That would be cool, I suppose. Yeah, there must be a way. I think there, you can do it with a, a PC emulation. I think yeah. the supermodel probably allows network over internet. Stephen could design a, a custom car to go in each half of the arcade machine to do it. He could abandon his work in terrible fires and do that instead. <laughs> no, no, we need him to work on the X68000. Leave him alone. Um, Dave, what other briefs have you got? Um, from 42, nobody 42, there's Movie Cart, which is a cart for the Atari 2600 that lets you play full-length movies. So what you do is you convert the movie file onto a special format, put it on an SD card and plug it in, and you get the movie in Atari 2600 resolution, which I bet you is probably fine to do it once or twice just for a bit of fun. Yeah, it's like they did this with the ZX80, didn't they, a while back, and it's just it's just mm. banging bits straight through yeah, and onto the screen. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, MS Publisher is being put out to pasture. Rest in peace, MS Publisher. I remember that being a staple in the school um, computer classes had a lot of fun. It was probably one of my earliest examples of actual desktop publishing, although people would argue that perhaps it's not precise enough to be true desktop publishing. It was a lot of fun. From Lord Borak, three newly found unreleased prototypes for the 2600 have been found and dumped. Um, they are from publisher UA Limited, which at one time had planned to release them for the system in the early 80s, and they were all based on their previous offerings for the short-lived Emerson Radio Console, the Arcadia 2001, which I've never heard of. So these are these are three games that never made it to market, which are ports of games for a console I've never heard of. 
<laughs> All right, Chris. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, from Colony Activist, the original Dune, uh, Dune is being remade for AGA Amigas, a wonderful game with wonderful music and unrelated to, well, I guess it's related by movie to the Dune 2 game, which was the later real-time strategy game. Uh, um, and you had the adventure game was the first one. Uh, the second one came about because um, the first one was in development. And then for some reason, somebody thought it had been canned. So they started another one. And then it turned out the first one hadn't been canned. So they ended up with two June games. Uh, but I'm not complaining because they're both good games. And I think, Ollie, you're a fan, aren't you? Or you've, I know you're a big enough fan to have covered the music. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Dune as a series in general. Um, and I first discovered it with the, the game. And then after finishing it, I... Uh, I bought the first book, read it, the second book, read it all throughout the seven book series. And I've also read all the novels that his, his son or grandson um, uh, wrote after that, which is actually twice as many <laughs> novels wow. as the original ones. Uh, and I've, I've, I think I've read Dune about three or four times now. Yeah, the it's, fa- it's fantastic yeah. book. I've even got a Dune t-shirt on. Wow, this is unusual. We actually have an expert on the show. <laughs> um, so ollie there's a a new version of dune being redone for the aga my uh, my understanding of the short video i watched was they looked to be taking out the david lynch style graphics uh, because the, the graphics were based on the david lynch film and they looked to be replacing them is is that what's happening it, it seems like it yeah i think what, what these are are they feel very ai-ish um and so it's a re I, I would i would guess that this is an ai rendition using the original graphics as a prompt uh to, to create that sort of art which i think works well it's actually quite beautiful to look at um it, it's a fan game it's a fan effort mm, yeah. um if if whoever owns the right to do did that and presented it as a remaster i would probably have objections to it but it's a guy on his own doing that, and fair play to him. Yeah, the game itself is is fantastic. It, it really does get the feel of it. The music is the music is epic. The ad lib gold music is is epic for it, or the um, the the MIDI music for it, um, and um, the actual original music has now been remastered. Now that copyright has expired by Stefan Peek, a French composer. Yeah, I. Uh... He reached out to me um, before he started on that, asking me if I'd be interested in having the uh, covers in a second CD uh, that goes along with that. And But he hasn't, we haven't talked after that. I, so I, I think that um, project is, is canned. He's released the remaster now. But I, I don't think he has uh, intention to release another CD with covers. There's only so few covers anyway uh, of Dune, so... Yeah, there's there's one that I listened to in OC Remix years and years ago. It's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, um, he, he's done that. I hope he does a physical release of it because I'd love to buy it in vinyl. Um, I think he's he's uh, talked about physical release and yeah, it's it's not in the cards. It's just... I, I, don't, I don't know that there's enough people willing to buy no, it. It's no, just no. a shame. So Dictate Chester... Uh, says an endgame exploit discovered for the original Xbox. This is a hack that allows code to be executed, which means it's even easy, even you do do. It's even easier to soft mod them. You, you only need a memory card, and you can break the uh, the locks on it. 
And there is even more on the subreddit. More to, too much to cover here. There's more on the subreddit. Uh, have a look. Go and read some stories and find yourself something to do on there. Where's, where is that, Dave? The, the subreddit is pixel.addict.media. <laughs> Reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Exodos is a massive package of games aiming to have every DOS game and aiming to have them in a way which is playable on modern PCs without configuration, extracting, installing, and conflicts and all the rest of it. You say that, I did manage to download it and completely mess up the install and have to download it again. <laughs> I know why. Um, Go on. It's because you didn't follow the simple instructions. That is exactly why, yes. <laughs> it aims to have them be compatible and present them in a way with manuals, etc., in a way that's easier to navigate and enrich the experience rather than, for those of you who remember the old abandonware sites, you would get the game in a zip file and that would be it. This presents them in a much better way. It's a noble goal and one that they've largely achieved. The project has recently gone further and added magazines and other things to the archive. So it's much more than just a way to get some pirated games. It really is. Uh, with each release, they've added significant functionality. For example, version 6 adds universal configuration options. There's collections of wards for Doom or for Unlimited Adventures for the D&D game. Um, there's more to it there. You could, you can criticise it as a piracy tool, but I think you'd be wrong to do so. This is a massive effort of preservation, and the end result makes these games accessible, making the experience much better, and it will keep the door open to these games for people who wouldn't go through the hassle of running them. If you didn't have a PC back in the 90s, I'm not sure if it's if it's feasible for you to get things running other than just launching a package game like you would get on GOG or Steam or on this. It is piracy. I don't think it's centrally hosted anywhere, is it? No. So I think it will be hard to, to shut that down. So it, yeah, I'm not saying it's not piracy, but mm. I, I say if you criticise there's just a piracy tool, you're wrong. Hmm. It's not just that. It's, it's more about preservation than piracy, I believe. Um, Personally, I, I don't. I think what I was getting at there is I don't think there's a huge risk of it suddenly being shut down because it's you know it's not centrally hosted; it's shared over torrents. I'll come to that later on, but okay. yes and no, yes and no. Okay. Uh, personally, I don't use it because I like using original hardware, but it's already a point now where it provides so many things that are useful to me that I will be using it. I just don't need the actual games, and the actual games part of it are not. It's not everything now. You've got all the manuals, all the extra stuff, all the extra information, and the magazines and so on. So thank you to Happy Coding ZX for submitting a link to a different but related project called Exoscum VM. So this is a kind of a, a branch of it. Scum VM is an evolution of a project that was focused on LucasArts point-and-click games. We've talked about it before. Scum being LucasArts' own engine for making games. So Scum VM was originally uh, an engine to play those games. It then expanded to cover adventure games and then on to more games like RPGs, for example, Neil. Um, uh, Ultima. Ding, well ding, ding. done, yes. <laughs> the issue is that it's a, a massive set of engines. It's not just one engine, it's a collection of them. And it now recognizes 11,000 games, but they're not all working well. Am I right to think that ScumVM is essentially a retro engineering of the whatever 
engine the, the the game is using using the data files but yes with a new okay. yes yes so that that's that's what it is it scum vm is a yeah. way of running those data files with a, a replacement engine yeah okay so scum was the script creation utility for maniac mansion and then scum vm was to put that engine into a virtual machine and call upon the original data files but the the name is quite misleading now because it does a hell of a lot more than scum based okay. game okay. it's just sort of a yeah, a way of playing all kinds of games. So the issue that EXO identified with ScumVM is it, it says it does all these games. It recognizes all these game files, but it doesn't work them well. So what EXO ScumVM does, so you've got Scum, then ScumVM, and now EXO ScumVM. So what it does is pair that back to games that work properly with a focus on commercial releases. And the curation that's done there has reduced that down to 534 games. Now, 534 is a lot less than 11,000, but it's a lot of games. So I'm guessing the advantage of using this within Exodos instead of DOSBox is that basically uh, Exodos is accessed through Launchbox, isn't it? That's your mm -hmm. front end. Yeah. And then from there, you'll choose your game and it will launch the DOS game within DOSBox. Oh, okay. So I'm guessing with the addition of this into the project, it, instead it will launch the game within scum vm is that that's right that's so, and then so the, you get the benefits that yeah. come with that okay yeah so this is a way of packaging it up the same the same ethos as the original exodus to put it in a way that you can just launch the game and get into it without having to understand anything else mm. and, uh, then, now, and then the outcome of that is you effectively have a, as a system that makes dos gaming as accessible as steam super nintendo emulation gaming where you yeah. just have a front end and you know yeah. that's nice and easy because you're just loading roms yeah. but this is more complex underneath, but it attempts to make it as accessible and as easy. Yeah, got it. Yeah, so it's like having Steam, except it's all these old games. Now, I've said it before, and I will die on this hill, the DOS era of gaming was the best era, the best advancement we've seen there's ever been. Things have improved since then. Games are better than they were then, but the sudden everyone having hard disk, Super VG, and Sound Blaster, and games suddenly being able to use that made gaming amazing back in that period of time. Um, I may be biased because it suited the types of games that I wanted to play at the time. So strategy, adventure, RPG. If you were more into shooters or uh, platform games, you probably wouldn't agree with me. But I'm very keen on this project exo project and other projects as it gets these fantastic games into people's hands that otherwise would um, not be able to go through the hoops or wouldn't choose to go through the hoops of playing them. So if you want to experience it, then download it and then run the setup file. I'll expand it all for you and you'll be ready to go, Neil. Yes, I download. So there was Exodus and then there was the media pack and I got the media pack and thought, brilliant, I will now extract all of those zip files to make it work. And then I'll run the setup and then the setup goes extracting zip files and then everything just became a complete mess. So just run the setup like a normal person. <laughs> Readme.txt. <laughs> yeah. Neil, what um, do you think about all this? Oh, it's great. Um, in terms of eras, it's difficult to say that DOS is the best era of gaming, but then you did caveat that by saying advancements in gaming. Yeah, it, it's it's sudden. All of a sudden, we'd, we'd had these games, and they were they were stuck on machines with originally with sixty four kilobytes on a tape or on a, on a on a disc with a small capacity. We moved to the sixteen bit era, and we had much larger discs and much larger memory, but it still wasn't a lot. And we're all the disc swapping, and then all of a sudden, we had the hard disc. We had Super VGA. We had Sound Blaster. We had digital sound. 
and then series came not along not not far behind it and all these all these new games came out and all these things that were were not possible were suddenly possible i agree i'm a big fan of dos gaming but um you know i'm a big fan of super nintendo and mega drive games but it's it's worth keeping in mind that when you were dos gaming on your pc every now and then you put a bit more memory in or you put a cd drive in or you up you know upgraded this and upgraded that so it it was a moving target so it wasn't completely fair to make a like for like comparison to some other systems but you know that that's what enabled that advancement that, yeah that's and i what... don't i don't i wouldn't want to to make a like for like comparison yeah. and say yeah. it's better than because of that I, I just feel that all of these restrictions fell down at once and we had this what was almost unlimited space yeah and graphics and sound and all the rest of it that weren't available before and that's something that attracted me as well with PC gaming over consoles at the time, because your your experience of the game changed with your PC setup. Mm. So you, you play the game and then you upgraded the RAM or the graphic card halfway through. And now you have a very, very different experience. You can rediscover the entire game with that experience. That's something I did a lot. I used to play the games three times sometimes with a different setup as as my pc setup changed it was a yeah i i like that part of pc very much it was a lot of tinkering as well but that uh, the longevity i would get out of the game and a different mm. experience and that's part of the joy of uh, revisiting in the modern day through projects like this is you mm. can play these games on a spec of system that you couldn't have dreamed of having yeah. back in the day uh, some games even with the recommended specs had problems back in the day just because they hadn't had time to finish optimizing it um or, or whatever but now you know through this it's got any patches applied to it and you've got all the power you want to throw at it which is great um i like it so much that i am now building a dedicated pc just for this it's going to be in an old case i hope to run it on a crt we'll see if the interface can cope with that depending on what resolutions it supports and then people can come to the museum and play on the actual machines and if someone says to me oh have you got i don't know billy's big day out or some dos game i've never heard of i can say actually come and sit here and you also can get world. A, yeah you can get a close to uh, authentic experience um that way so that tells you how much i love it i've got a similar idea with mine i've got a set of five pcs here all connected up to the same crt and keyboard and mouse and speakers and so on and i'm not averse to running scum vm to play a game on a more powerful computer connected to the same crt that looks and feels just like playing the original game original hardware except with the, the sharp edges taken off I have not I have I've no actual interest actually in Scum VM. Um, um, if or I wanted Exodus to play in general, Exodus. yeah, yeah, um, not really something I would. But I, I like the idea of bringing this to people who couldn't experience those games back then yeah. with a top of the range configuration. Should you choose to, it, it's I think it's a great uh, great thing. I have a Pentium Tree system with Windows ninety eight, and that's what I use. Um, I have a GeForce in there, and that's what I use. Uh, if I want to play that experience, that's a sweet um, spot. P three, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's. I think that's that's all I really need. If I if I really get the uh, the retro PC itch, 
But other than that, I yeah, I've no, I don't get to play much anyway these days. <laughs> yeah, you're and, busy. Yeah. And my problem with my problem, it's personal problem, but very much like Neil, I can guarantee that if I try to run it, it'll fail first install. Um, <laughs> and it's because I, I I just hate those layers of uh, of frameworks installed upon LaunchBox and all this kind of thing, stuff. I, I find I, I I find myself tinkering with it a lot more than actually playing games. Uh, yeah, what I'd really like is to have this all set up and as a, a kind of a portable install that I can put on a on a USB drive and go, right, if I screw anything up, I know I can just plug that in and I'm yeah. back to back and working. I think, I mean, this this project is designed to to solve those issues, Ollie. It's designed so that you can install it and be ready to go. Sure. Um, it's designed to, to be better that way. I think the project is massively important but i do worry about it because it contains games which are currently being sold on gog and steam and other places my worry is that the inclusion of these will cause problems for the project although since it's distributed by torrent the worst that could happen is development stopping what's already out there you couldn't put it back in a box and stop it being there so if if one day exodus just did the the something legal happens and the doors slam on it, then what's out there will still be there. What I'd like to see, and I'm sure this will be controversial, I'm sure many of our listeners will not agree with me, is that any game that you can easily buy digitally um, should be taken out of it as far as the actual game files and require you to supply it with the digital download or the original media files to work. Now, it's not because I'm particularly keen on the rights holders making money on 30-year-old games. To be blunt, I feel that they've had their time to make the money, and it's not right that they're still able to make the money on it. Um, but it, it's because the laws on their side, and I worry that the project might be attacked because of it, and the wonderful preservation, which is far more important than providing the games to people, might be stopped because of it. Do you feel the same way about people who made a song 30 years ago or a movie 30 years ago yes okay yeah i feel personally i feel you, you have your time with copyright to to make your money from it but after a certain period of time it should stop and it should revert back to the public domain and the idea of all these these Beatles songs being being bought and traded after, and songs from artists who are long passed away and so on it doesn't suit the reason why why copyright is, is there in the first place but it's there to allow artists to make a living it's not there to allow their descendants to make a living so many years later that's a bit of a, a, a can opened up there yeah i partially agree with you i suppose but i mean if the if the rights went to the actual person who created the uh, the game um then i would say you're entitled to your rights for as long as you live if um, but after that, if you're if you're starting to pass rights between companies and holders and things like that, it it gets so murky that it it just after a while it just feels greedy. <laughs> yeah, there does I, seem I, to be this trend now for artists sort of thinking perhaps I've hit my my peak my my most valuable period now and then selling their entire back catalogue to a company and then that that catalogue becomes an investment to be traded. It's and then it gets a bit odd. Yeah, I I I don't have an, an answer to all of that. I don't oh, have a, yeah. a white paper written that explains all the answers to it. However, I do think for for this project, it I would like it to steer away from that, and I would still like it to have the games and all the information about the games there, but require the digital 
digitally purchase ones to avoid that problem. They have, though, they do not include any commercial games that are under five years old that are still being sold, though. So at least they've got a recognition of that there. But while GOG and EA and all the rest of it hold rights and are actively selling these things, I worry that one day Exodus development will just stop where it is and will only be left with what's there. And I think the preservation they're doing is vital. It's too important to be lost to that. Time now for our community question of the week. And last week's question was short and sweet. What are the best and the worst Microsoft products and why? We don't want any this was terrible because it sucked types answers. We want well thought out grown up answers because that's what we like here. So I have taken it out of contest mode there, Dave, while you were uh, waffling on. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we have our answers in order. So I'll read out the first one. It comes from the Xbox Vision. And they say the best is the Microsoft Sidewinder force feedback steering wheel. It was over a hundred pound when it was released. And I remember them sitting on the shelf and gathering dust in the game store uh, that they worked in. It was just too much to warrant a purchase. Years on, I recently bought one off eBay for £20, including postage, and it's absolutely fantastic to use with emulators. The force feedback is exactly like what you'd experience in the arcade. It makes playing Sega Rally an absolutely perfect experience. It's solid, well-built, and works flawlessly. If anyone is into arcade races and needs an authentic experience, then you can't go wrong with this wheel. There you go, Microsoft Sidewinder. They did have um, the, the, the Sidewinder range. It wasn't just wheels. It was sticks, joy pads. Uh, I've got a feeling there was even a Sidewinder headset and microphone. Um, but in general, Sidewinder was kind of a mark of quality. You knew you were getting a pretty decent product with that. Um, next is Chromatic Core. And he says, best Microsoft Optical IntelliMouse. Affordable, bulletproof, no driver issues, great ergonomics, and uh, in brackets for the 2000s, gaming-grade optical sensor. More recent MS peripherals are a poor, Im a poor imitation of build quality. I nearly got it right. Peripherals was a hard peripherals one. Peripherals in four. <laughs> Peripherals are a poor imitation of the build quality and practical design of the late 90s, early 2000s gear. Honourable mention, Microsoft Gaming Zone, simple, effective matchmaking for early online games, which worked well, was light in resources as it ran on a web page and made for many, many excellent memories playing MechWarrior 3 versus 56, via 56k dial-up. And worst, probably not alone in this one, but the shambles of a halfway house that was Windows ME, the incestuous, unwanted, drunken love child what an image of Windows 2000 and Windows 98 SE. I upgraded to it from Windows 98 and immediately a load of tricks and tweaks used to make old software, old DOS software run fine in just 95. 95 SE was dead as a doorknob in ME, rapidly made the side grade to proper Windows 2000 and all the wonky driver issues and UI irritations just went away. It ran like a champ until I moved to XP some years later. An I honorable uh, the the unwanted drunken love child of two thousand and ninety eight. Let's not sully two thousand. Two thousand was a great operating system. Um, ME was just but it got drunk in its own right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was rowdy. Honorable mention: Microsoft Access, not in and on itself, but the this many. Is, this is sorry. Honorable mention: worst. He says. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Microsoft Access, not in and on itself, but the many, many instances of horrendous technical debt, process bottlenecking, and general sins against enterprise system design that it has enabled over the years by lazy developers or over-eager users. Ick. I'm going to defend Access. So long as you know what you should be using it for and what you shouldn't be using it for, within that window, you can make a thing work in the way you want it to work. You shouldn't be scaling it up to an enterprise system. You shouldn't be using it for a spreadsheet. If you're making a little, little, like, for example, I once made a human resources database for a very, very small company. We're talking 20 people, kept track of all of their details. Oh, Dave's, Dave's yawning there. <laughs> it did its job. I liked it. I like you, Microsoft Access. <laughs> okay. Has he finished? <laughs> <laughs> Ollie likes it too, don't you? Just, come on, Ollie's got my back. No. Ollie doesn't no. care. <laughs> Never had to use it, actually. Yeah. Fine. Would you like to read the third one out, Ollie? Sure. By Nuclear Silo for Sale. Uh, says, so many choices, but I can't deny how cool the optical IntelliMouse was when it came out. They were great in so many regards, but personally, a very welcome change to cleaning an office full of ball rollers caked with strangers gunk. <laughs> That's an image. Uh, potentially controversial, but I'm going to also give a best to MSN. Okay. That was super easy to uh, teach people how to use and also relatively easy to modify. Honorable mention to Notepad. Uh, I'd have to agree with that, actually, uh, just because it's good. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a good one, actually. I would have said Notepad, to be honest. Yeah. Windows R, Notepad, Enter. I do that all day long, just to pop Notepad up and... Every day. Chunk my notes Notepad plus plus is better, though. Um, I'm pr I'm, MSN, I assume they mean MSN Messenger, or is I, there oh, yeah, MSN, yeah. some other MSN? Mm, not sure. Mm. I would assume Messenger, but... Yeah. Well, thank you to everyone who took part. There are comprehensive answers in this week, really comprehensive answers, so it's worth having a good read from Trevor Keverson. Is tomorrow, it's tomorrow now. Rickalicious D, Rich Neptune, uh, Mega Nigel. Mega Nigel. Megan, um, happy coding, Kefka Floyd, uh, and all of the other so many answers. So, have a good read through all of those uh, for your best and worst. Somebody says the uh, uh, logical associate says the best product must definitely be Microsoft in Carter 95. <laughs> there you go. All sorts of answers in there. New question of the week for this week. Please participate at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Our question to you is Adobe love or hate their products? When did you first use any Adobe product? Which have you replaced? What software have you replaced it with? And which do you still use today? Tell us all about your Adobe and um, your Adobe use and end every answer with yes, Neil, I also love Microsoft Access. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you uh, very much to Ollie um, for joining us today. Please, please, please do go and check out um, his music, uh, his shed, and everything else that he does <laughs> using the links in the show notes. Uh, well Simon. worth a subscription. We apologize for Simon in advance. <laughs> no, we don't apologize for Simon. We apologize for the bleep machine that always gets it slightly wrong, uh, misses the swear words. And um, thank you for listening. If you enjoy what we do, go to patreon.com forward slash this week in retro. And if you'd like to submit some stories for us to discuss, it's on that subreddit. Everything's in the show notes. Thank you, Duncan. Take care. Bye bye.
Bye bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ollie. Bonjour. 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 <laughs> <laughs>community subreddit at r stroke this week in retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show if you watch this week in retro on youtube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers if you enjoy our show and would like to support it then please check out the link to our patreon page in the show notes or description thank you for listening and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech Trousers and dance. But you get a premium experience out of these things. I remember. This is super thick stuff. More mold, daddy. Fist daddy mo. I just wanted to know I could keep my pen. So that's this week in Chris. <laughs> Did Chris just want me to drop my trap? Daddy mo. Daddy 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 mo. I've actually made him my daddy mo. Oh my daddy.